Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Lay Bear podcast, an audio experience designed to decode leadership and inspire action. Being a forward-thinking leader and game changer, you've tuned in to discover pragmatic tips and hints on leadership from the very best leaders. Each episode is dedicated to sharing pragmatic stories from the field and more importantly, real examples of what successful leaders are actually doing to deliver at pace. With so much to share, let's hand over to your host, Graham Wilson. I'm really delighted to welcome today's guest. It's someone who I've been blessed to work with over the past few years and have witnessed the power of leading in a humanistic way and achieving that wonderful balance of strategic thinking with the operational element of getting results through people. She's leading one of the toughest sectors at the moment with the massive disruption of the hospitality sector through the COVID crisis. She always has a smile on her face, is full of positive energy and ensures that work is always fun. It's someone I really admire as a leader and I'm sure we can learn a great deal from. So I'm really delighted to welcome Dawn Brown, People and Talent Director at Fuller, Smith and Turner. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on today. Really excited to hear about your experiences. So tell us perhaps um, a little bit about your journey so far, Dawn, and, and your your leadership lessons, I guess, from from the journey you've taken. It's been a very interesting journey, hasn't it? So I think I've been very fortunate, Graham. I um, I started my career at British Airways, an amazing organisation to work for um, on their graduate programme. And quite quickly, they push you into leading people. Mm. So I think my first experience of leadership was leading the graduates of the kind of three or four years behind me in their journeys. Um, and slowly, I guess I built my leadership experience. So I trained as a project manager first. Actually, okay. I thought right. I wanted to thought I wanted to manage projects. I like the structure and the organisation yeah. and uh, some of the theory about mm. getting stuff done. Yeah. Um, so I trained as a project manager, and I worked on Terminal Five actually when it was still lines on a piece of paper. Oh wow. And then, as part of that project, I got to know our business better, and I was offered the opportunity to go and lead uh, uh, baggage handlers and dispatchers at the aircraft, at the, at the airport. Um, and of course, once I'd gone to do that, I suddenly realized that actually this whole people thing was far more exciting than my <laughs> piece of paper, far more challenging, but far yeah. more exciting. Um, and so I would say my first kind of forming leadership experience for me was, was leading a group of a hundred mainly men all significantly older than me mm. um, and learning really I think the most important lesson for me of, of leadership is that it's about respect not approval mm. you know not everyone is going to like you and sometimes you have to make some tough decisions but if you do it with the right intent um, yeah. you'll end up with with the right respect so that was that was a really forming leadership experience for me you know I have some amazing tales of those days I think when I when I met my team for the first time one of the guys said to me I've got socks older than you young lady <laughs> <laughs> I thought oh, this is going to be challenging wow it was a baptism of fire how, how did you build respect then because because I can relate to that as well in the army you know you're a young young guy coming out of training you get promoted and you're suddenly leading people who are a lot older than you, a lot more experienced than you, and, and it is about earning that respect. So what, what did you do to actually earn that respect? So the, the guy, the sort of guy, actually uh, listened to you and was led by you. So I think my response to the sock guy was, well, it's time you got new socks then. <laughs> um, Clearly. Uh, and look, I think, again, if your intent is good, 
then I think it shines out of you. And my intent actually is the same as my intent in, in any job, which is three things, which is uh, learning. How, how much can I learn here? Impact. What positive impact can I create? And fun. Can yeah. we have a nice time while we're doing it? Because, mm. you know, who wants to have a rubbish time at work? Not me. Mm. So I think that was my intent. The theory was muck in and hope for the best. So I spent a lot of time learning from them, actually. You know, yeah. who says that followers can't teach leaders? Because, boy, I've learned pretty much everything in my career from followers. For me, the theory was muck in, learn, try try and first seek to understand, learn before you think mm. you can make decisions. Um, and actually, do you know, it, it turned out pretty well. And we soon got to the point where it was OK for everybody else to have a pop at me. Or it's so an okay for them to have a problem yeah. with me, but not for anybody else. We became this little protective. Yeah. Piece. I, I was most someone saying to me that you, you should never ask someone to do something that you'd never do yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that links into the the mucking in bit, isn't it? You know, you've got to almost like lead from the front, haven't you? You've got to be prepared to do it yourself. Uh, and if if you're if you're not and you're asking someone to do something you wouldn't do, then what why why would they do that? So there's a bit there, isn't there, around that? And, and that respect piece, I guess, isn't it? They they see they see you doing things, don't they, and the way you behave 24-7, I guess, don't they? They sort of see you all the time, don't they, in just terms of your, your role. So it and is I think important. that's important yeah. as well. Yeah. You have to, and I probably didn't realise this till much later on in, in my career, but as a leader, people are always looking at you. Mm. And no matter where you are or what you do, you're always creating culture. You're always mm. creating people's opinion of you. So if you're first in in the morning, if you're last time at night, if you're first time at night, if you make it okay to have a conversation about your family and your kids, then it will be okay for everybody else to do it. You know, it, mm. it's quite a responsibility, I think. Is um, I was talking to a head teacher from a, a primary school the other day, and we talked about leadership, and, and he was on one of our programs, and, and I said to him, his his school, um, he's now a schools inspector because he'd been so good at what he did, but he. Um, his school was always outstanding with the Ofsted uh, you know, reports and inspections. And, and I said to him, how do, you, how do you do that? He said, well, he said, there's a number of things, obviously leadership and, and leading from the front and all, all the, the good stuff. Um, but he said the key was that every morning he would stand at the entrance of the school and meet the children, know all their names and meet the, the parents as well. He said, that's what set the culture. I think yeah, what you said there, isn't it? Is, you know, your behavior, isn't it? The choices you make are are so important aren't they you might not realize it but mm. that that one gesture every morning that's what he would do made such a difference to the whole culture and and the the feeling of yeah we're all in this together and it's the parents and the children and we're here supporting and we're a great team and we're here to do some great stuff and that makes such a difference isn't it, from a leadership point of view I, I really think it does and it sounds like he found something that his leadership really stood for yeah and I, it's taken me quite a long time, I think, to work out who yeah. I am as a leader yeah. and what I really stand for and what's really important to me. Because and I think what, what, is, what is that then, Endo? What is that? <laughs> I've got to ask that now, haven't I? <laughs> so for me, it is about, as a leader, I think you're, you can't get anything done yourself anymore as a leader. Everything has to happen through other people. Mm. So really, it's not rocket science. The trick yeah. is, how do you bring out the best in those people? So for me... The thing I like to think I stand for is if you work for me, you will get better at what you do. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> because my job is to bring out the best in other people. Um, yeah. And sometimes that's easy and sometimes that's hard and threads of 
uh, you know, honesty and candid conversations and some of the tough stuff that you have to do with people is valuable, but but hard. Uh, and it's interesting that when you relate that back to your first role of you know, of project management, isn't it, where you mentioned that you like the structure, you like the process, which is probably about, I don't know, 10% of project management really, isn't it? The rest of it yeah. is, is all about people. And it's interesting how that that develops. And, and, and I think yeah, I, I'm totally with you because I always think about each about how you awaken possibility in people to deliver extraordinary results, which is exactly the same as what you're saying there, isn't it? How do I develop people? How do I build their confidence? How to get them to do things that we need to get done? And, and that's, if you take that focus, then yeah, it makes such a difference to to everything, doesn't it really? In terms of how they feel, they feel valued, don't they? They feel included and yeah. they develop, they're growing. So you create that, that atmosphere. How, how do you build in the fun then? Because I know, because that's something that you're, you're really keen on. What, what, do you, what do you do to, because you know, to you think about what's happened over the last few months it's been tough hasn't it so yeah. yeah how to build that positivity i guess into the enjoyment of it what sort of things to do to make that happen so um i'm really fortunate i work for a hospitality business which is brilliant fun to yeah. work for you can't work in pubs and not want to have fun yeah. um, and we have a brilliant team of four thousand people all of whom are i think by working in hospitality naturally attuned to having fun yeah. Um, so I think in, in, in my team, we have fun on a number of different levels. I think the first thing to say is you have to recognise that not every period of time is fun. And certainly the last nine months haven't been fun. Yeah. But it doesn't stop you having that almost release valve. And particularly in an HR team, mm. where I think you're often dealing with the tougher side of things, mental health, yeah. um, uh, you know, grievance and discipline, all the grotty stuff that mm. nobody to deal with the release valve of being able to say some of those things to each other that are maybe a bit close to the bone that make each other laugh I think is very yeah. important so we have a very honest relationship my people leadership team I have six direct reports and um, my people leadership team and together we have a very honest approach I think we you know we plan in fun which sounds slightly bizarre doesn't it but even in current times you can plan to have fun yeah. you know our christmas secret socially distant secret <laughs> Santa was certainly a lot of fun I, you bet. know I'm not yeah. going to reveal some of the gifts because no i've, not I've heard it was of publication. <laughs> so I like uh, it's like planned spontaneity isn't it that's what you're saying <laughs> it, it is and also the other thing i've learned as a leader is you don't have to rely on yourself for everything yeah. The rest of the team will have ideas yeah. about how to have fun. It's just about really listening sometimes mm -hmm. and then allowing them to have the creativity and the space to go away and say, that sounds like a brilliant idea. How are you going to make it happen? Yeah. What can I do to help? Definitely, definitely. I think that's that's such an important thing. I think we, we, we can take ourselves too seriously, can't we, sometimes? And, yeah, we forget actually that, yeah, we spend a lot of time in work. Why can't we make it fun? And, uh yeah, I, I've had experience where, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, our learnings. We like to make learning fun as well. We, we call it um, fun with a serious intent, I guess, because we, we were creating the learning situation. And sometimes you get you get senior teams looking at you thinking, well, we don't want them to have fun. We want them to learn and work hard, you know, and thinking, well, hang on. You know, <laughs> it's about, isn't it about, you know, building a confidence, having some fun together, enjoying, having dialogue, discussion. And, you know, you can do that in, in, a, in a great way, can't you? And, and think about the, the culture and the environment. The two aren't mutually exclusive, are they? Oh. You can't, you know, you don't have to work hard or yeah. have fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have both. And I think that's, you know, for me, that's one of my assumptions in life. And I've I've spent probably 
the last is only in the last five or six years I've realized that the assumptions that you hold that you don't really know that are there mm -hmm. so impact your behavior mm -hmm. and when someone is brave enough to hold a mirror really close to you and you can see your assumptions then yeah. you know one of one of my assumptions in life is that you aren't actually born with this innate natural talent it doesn't just you're not just born with it you're not a brilliant leader or a brilliant doctor or you know a brilliant pilot or a or a brilliant chef because you're born with it people my view is that if you find something you love you find your passion and you work really hard at it perseverance you'll be successful yeah i totally agree if you're yeah. doing something you love, you're more likely to have fun anyway. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's sad sometimes when you get a lot of people, don't you, who who don't actually spend that time, that self-reflection and that time to understand you know, what they're, you know, who they really are, what are they really passionate about, what are their strengths, and put all that together into something that they they really, really love. Because you're going to be good at that, aren't you? And, and they, they're trying to look at other things or what other people do or how other people find success and, and not think about themselves. So I think that's so important, isn't it, to... I think that's the same from a leadership point of view. You've got to find your way, haven't you? You mentioned there about, you know, you've discovered your, I guess, your leadership philosophy, your way of doing things. And I think that's great to do that. And the earlier we can do that in our career, the better, I guess. Yeah. What did you do after British Airways then? So you, you spent time, obviously. Spent ten, almost 10 years yeah. with BA wow. doing lots yeah. of different, lots yeah. and lots of different jobs. And then I went to work for another airline, actually. I went to work for Qantas. Okay. Uh, totally different running a cabin crew base so I'd right. gone from kind of the baggage handlers to the yeah. cabin crew wow really different culture I, I bet same same demands around leadership I would say mm. um but really different culture and I I yeah. loved that I did five very happy years there and that's probably where I began to figure out that this whole people thing was um, was enthralling for me and I couldn't right. understand why were some people that I led so brilliant at their jobs and didn't need anything for me and yeah. why did some people need a bit more and why did some people just not respond to me at all what what did this whole thing mean mm. and I had a um, a learning manager that worked for me in that space and she was a real inspiration for me she was amazing and I learned so much about learning from her to the extent that my next job was the head of learning and development role. It sounds mad when you look at it oh, now. Wow. I went to Compass Group. So I'd gone from yeah. having really no formal people experience except for leading people myself to being a head of learning and development for 65,000 people. Wow. And I look back now and think Compass Group were mad to give me that. <laughs> but their, their, their ethos was... We've got a team of trainers and learning people that don't need another learning expert. They need a great leader because they're pretty broken. Mm, Can right. you come in and help them? There's there's 40 people. Can you come in and help them understand? And, you know, again, the lesson I learned there is that really, for me, leadership is about three things. It's about how do you how do you set the journey what does your in, in, in fancy words what's your strategy yeah, yeah, i don't even yeah. fancy hr speak if i'm honest but what's your plan where are you going what's the end game look like number one and they haven't got any of that number two 
how do you then create enough excitement and inspire people to want to be on that journey? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you give people a brilliant ticket to the bus? What's the golden ticket look like? Um, and they didn't have any of that either. And then number three, how do you execute brilliantly? So what does that day-to-day rigor really look like of execution? And I think my project management skills helped me there because that's really what that was all about. Mm. Uh, so, and that's all they wanted. Yeah. Sometimes it's good, isn't it, that you, you're you not an L&D expert, I guess. You, you, you can't get involved, can you, in solving their problems. You can't get involved in technical or tactical stuff because... You don't know, do you? So you've got to go back and, and step up and and think in a more strategic way and, and do the things that you say there, which is, you know, set the direction, um, you know, inspire people, give the meaning to the sort of plan and then execute, really. And because and, then you're empowering people, aren't you, to get on and, and their expertise. I can always remember years ago, I sat in a board meeting where there was um, a, a board, they were about to do a session with me and, and they said to me, oh, hang on, go. can we just hang on a minute? We've got this... Um, this PowerPoint presentation we need to have a look at. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? And they spent a half an hour looking at the head of L&D, who I knew very well, who was a, an expert at their job uh, and really fantastic at their job. And they went through every single PowerPoint slide looking at, you know, oh, I don't like that word or change this word here or don't like this. And I'm thinking, oh, my word, how would I how would I feel if, you know, I'm, I've been employed as a very experienced yeah, head of L&D in a global organization and the board are now going to tell me what I should be teaching it's like crazy isn't it you're thinking how and by the way it didn't last very long there yeah <laughs> she moved on definition to other other pastures yeah surely I think it, it must be the definition of insanity employ yeah. someone and then try and do their job for yeah. them yeah I know it's unbelievable isn't it so so I think yeah I think you're right sometimes yeah. and I often think that in organizations where we tend to promote people, don't we, who are good at a job to be the leader of that function, that that department, rather than saying, actually, well, okay, you've never done that before, so, but we need a good leader in that situation. Um, in you go, and I think yeah, that, I suppose, compass group, it was a compass group, wasn't it? You said, but that uh, awesome. that did that, that that maybe they were they, they were right in that, and actually mm-hmm. giving you that role to turn it around. So, what did you learn from that then? Oh my goodness. Uh- it was one of the steepest learning curves I have ever been on. They're a very commercial organization. Mm. So I learned a great deal about the commercial realities of HR. I was part of an HR team for the first time. So there was that learning curve. Um, I think the lesson that stayed with me for the longest time there is exactly what you said. It is the ability to lead when you don't know the answers. Mm. That was the biggest thing. And I come across so many leaders that I coach myself who really struggle with that feeling of, but I don't know anything about this. And they've asked me to sort it, fix it, do it, drive it forward. And that, I think, can be a really tough place to be. So for me, the biggest lesson was how do you lead people when you have no idea what the answers are? And I've used that a great deal in my career. I guess over the last nine months as well. I mean, it's like that is... It's really fascinating because I, I, there's a trend that's come out with a lot of interviews I've done recently around how a lot of them have said, particularly in your role, around how the talent planning process has, has taken a bit of a shock where you know, a lot of the hypos that were on the you know, the nine boxing or whatever, the top right corner or whatever haven't stepped up in the crisis and, and haven't, you know, were identified as people who are going to be the, the leaders of the future when actually there's people that you that weren't there, weren't in that box who've stepped up and 
have, have, have led really well. And, and they're the people who, who can actually lead without knowing the answers, can't they? And actually lead through people and, and get things done. So I think that's been really fascinating. And I guess for me, that's one of the benefits we've had over the last nine months is to shake things up a little bit and start to look at leadership perhaps in a different way and think about what we need from leaders in the future going forward. And you're right, you know, we need leaders who, who can lead without knowing the answers. Yeah, and, it was a and that's period of life for me. It is, isn't it? yeah. So, so, so after, so after that, then, so being thrown into Compass Group, and I guess was that was that in the days? Who was the was it Chief Exec? Was it Charles Allen? Was it because I think he was? Was that around that time or not? Or was that... uh, no, it was post him. Oh, okay. And pre, uh, pre Robin when he moved in. Yeah. So okay. It, it was a it was a fascinating time actually, and I only stayed three and a half years there. Um, right. Yeah. The, to be honest, the culture of the organisation wasn't perfect for me, no. mm. but the learning experience was incredible. And I'll never, you know, the three years I spent there were really formative for me. I'll never regret it, but it wasn't yeah. a great cultural fit. Mm. And as I left, I was pregnant with my second child, actually. Right. And my plan was, I'm going to leave. They're changing the structure of the organisation. managed to negotiate myself a reasonable exit. I'm going to have a year off work. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend some time with a new baby, Anna. <laughs> Did that happen? That didn't quite pan out. <laughs> when my son was nine months old, I started work at Fuller's. So <laughs> okay, so <laughs> you need to uh, to get uh, a different uh, mindset going again. Did you? Yeah. It's hard though, isn't it? It's hard. It's a hard transition. That I guess. Yeah, making that happen. Wow. So so then you then you're into Fuller's because you weren't in. That was more operational, wasn't it? Initially, was it in Fuller's? So I came to Fuller's as the head of learning and development, um, gosh, nine years ago now, with absolutely no intention of staying this long. Wow. Honestly, I thought, okay, it's a small organisation, the pointy end's pretty pointy. I've never worked for a pub company before. I'm not sure I really understand it. And I can't think of any other way to describe it, Graham, except I fell in love with it. And Mm. I knew Mm. three four months in oh, we have such a special culture in our business yeah. and pubs from somewhere you know are really yeah. special places they are, really aren't they? special places for community for history for all kinds of things um we're, they're really special places so I had no intention of staying this long but I did and I was lucky enough I had a um, a great boss and I grew my role from learning and development into recruitment and engagement and mm. then I ran a program uh, with our then managing director called Every Customer Leaves Happy all right. about that yeah. link between yeah. happy team equals happy customers really yep. so yeah. that that was the premise on which it was based if we can recruit the, the people with the right personality we can train them to be brilliant. And if we keep them engaged and we look after them, then they'll just be naturally brilliant at what, what they do, because that's what we've recruited. It's not um, difficult, really, is it, when you break it down? <laughs> it isn't. But in a, in a slightly larger organisation, it does require yeah. energy and structure yeah. and, and drive to make it happen. But I, I loved it. I loved mm. it. And I stayed in that job. Well, the job that had morphed into yeah. lots of jobs yeah. for longer than I've ever stayed in any role. I was in it nearly five years. Wow. I've never stayed in a job that long. Um, and then I was very fortunate just as I'd got to the point where I was thinking, OK, I'm ready for a new challenge now. I'm ready for that learning thing. No longer on such a steep learning curve. Um, 
I'm ready for something new. Fuller's then agreed to help me pay for a, a master's in people and organisational development, which was another huge learning experience. Yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then part way through that programme, I hadn't envisaged this. Our uh, ops director for our city region left and um, I decided it was time to go back operational wow. for a while. So Fantastic. I did three years as head of operations for our pubs in London um, again. Mm. brilliant learning experience um a fantastic place to spend some time a new team you know and you know what it's like when when mm. you start a new role you have this most amazing opportunity to reinvent yourself mm. you can sit down and reflect and say what have I done in my last role that worked really well for me as a leader what hasn't worked so well and what do I want to do differently and every time I've moved jobs I've been fortunate enough to be able to kind of reinvent a little bit of something that I didn't think went so well last time round, And it's just continuous improvement, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I, I guess it's because I always talk about you know, leadership being contextual as well. So you have to do that, don't you? You have to stop and reflect and go, OK, so what have I learned so far that I can bring forward? But what's the context now? Because I don't know, leading L&D team might be different than leading an ops team in, in the middle of the city, for example. And that context is the bit that makes it exciting because you can reinvent yourself. Can't think, what do I need to do in this environment, in this context to be successful? I think a lot of people don't do that. They sort of tend to think, well, I've now got a way of leading. It worked in my last job. I'm going to do the same now. And sometimes that doesn't work. You've got to, you've got to be adaptive, aren't you, and, and flexible and, and think about that the context. Assumption. That assumption yeah. again, what has worked so far may yeah. not be what works for me in the future. And it might be, you know, and I don't... I don't think I rev I don't think I completely changed myself there are some things that are mm. core to who I am so for example one of the challenges I faced going into an operational slightly more hard-nosed sales-driven profit-driven team was yeah. look at this fluffy positive yeah. energetic L&D person who's arrived <laughs> they're going to eat her for breakfast mm. so am I ever not going to be energetic no I'm not no. That positivity, that energy is part of who I am. And yeah, yeah you know, I accept that some people don't love it. It's me. It's part mm. of it. I'm not going to change that. Yeah. But can I show you a commercial side to me? Can I have a tough commercial conversation with you? Am I happy to make tough decisions? Yes. And do I need to look for opportunities to do that in my first few weeks to build that respect? Yes, I do. So looking for opportunities to demonstrate the things that people are concerned about. Mm think is also is really important yeah that's interesting isn't it making those quick wins isn't it and actually demonstrating that you can make those decisions and you can actually get the quick wins and and you can actually i guess remove the risk because people you know assume that oh you, you know you're not very commercial are you from lnd well actually you could be really commercial can't you yeah you just need to demonstrate that and i, I guess that that's that whole journey of building trust isn't it around you know, your credibility, um, I guess your empathy, so you understand their context, their situation. Um, I suppose the, um, I suppose the dependability, isn't it? You know, can I depend on you to to do your job effectively and, and operate from integrity? And I guess if you do those sort of things, then you are going to start to build that respect. And I think that's interesting from a leadership point of view, isn't it? If, of being mindful about those things, and again, of almost like working backwards. So how do I? Yeah, in order to build the respect of, of the team I'm now going to lead, what must I do? And, and not often people think like that, do they? They they just go out and just operate in a certain way and not think about, okay, well, what outcomes do I need? What do I now need to do to get those outcomes? Yeah, and I think if we, life is over 
if you stop learning. Yeah. Because I've not, I don't know about you, but I've never met anybody that's the finished article. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think you know, life would be boring if you stop learning, but life, life is over. If you think as a leader, you can go into a situation and have all the answers and do everything perfect, you're going to be really disappointed from yeah, day absolutely. one. Yeah. And people don't want that anymore. No. I don't think people want their leaders to be perfect. A piece of feedback I got very early on in my Fuller's career was, um, yeah, but Dawn, you're always, everything's always on time. You're always on top of everything. You always seem so perfect. And we're a bit suspicious of that. <laughs> yeah. And I remember thinking, you know, I've worked so hard with a nine-month-old child and two hours a night's sleep and a three-year-old mm. to pretend that yeah. everything is perfect all yeah. the time. Yeah. Actually, my team don't want me to pretend to be perfect. Mm -hmm. They want me to be human. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, you never stop learning, do you? A really good lesson for me was you've got to be a bit more human. Yeah, that's where the vulnerability comes in, isn't it, really? The, it's a bit like when you're watching a presentation and someone makes a little bit of a mistake. You're almost like, you almost like warm to them, don't you? You think, you know, yes. and you want to connect with them more than if someone's like the finished, polished article. So you're right. I think that, and that that vulnerability only comes on it when when you have that trust level in place where you can, you know, start to to. I guess it's it's about being real, isn't it? Being authentic and and as you say, being human. I guess I guess something I've thought about the last nine months is. You know, this this human uh, element of leadership is certainly something that's got to be taken forward. Yeah, I've seen a lot more empathy, a um, lot more humanity. We were talking today about how the virtual world has actually enabled people to almost like go into people's houses that they would never go into before. You know, I was working with an American company the other day, and I think, you know, the chief exec, I'm in his house. You know, that would never happen normally. <laughs> it's like, no. how intimate is that? You know, and the kids are running around in the background and stuff like that, and that just would never have happened. You know. All, um, suited and booted in the in the, the boardroom sort of type thing I think that's hard mm. for some of us that vulnerability piece I'm 45 years old and therefore most of my early very early formative leadership stuff in my kind of early mid-20s in a corporate environment there was never any talk of vulnerability mm. and the idea was to have this kind of hard shell of yeah you, you know you can't touch me and so I've honestly I found that whole move to less perfectionist more human mm. admit when you don't know things really tough actually mm. it's, it's been one of the toughest things for me in my career at Fuller's because Fuller's is is like a halfway house between that kind of corporate environment we've mm. got a lot of the structure and governance of a corporate environment but the feel of a family yeah and therefore people expect to know you as a human being and no human being is perfect yeah. and therefore they don't yeah. expect you to be perfect but yeah. I, I found that very tough yeah. very tough it's that yeah being real again isn't it you've got to be real yeah we're, we're, we can't be perfect all the time and, and it's funny that isn't it because yeah why why did the corporate world build that up or where did that come from because I guess I was quite lucky actually going into the military. I hadn't realised actually you think the military is all about being tough and all that stuff. But actually there's a lot more empathy, a lot more care, a lot more vulnerability, um, I guess because it's a heightened sort of situation, I guess, where you want people to be honest. You know, if they're if they're not feeling well or they're injured or whatever, you want people to feel confident to tell you that they're, they're injured so you can make decisions based on on where they're at, I guess. And 
So I was quite lucky actually in early age actually seeing that. And, and you're right, I, you know, when I when I moved into the corporate world, it was this almost like faceless world, isn't it, where people are trying to be perfect and you know, I can't, you know, if someone makes a mistake, it's like all this politics and cover up and all this sort of stuff. When actually you made a mistake, you didn't do it on purpose. Let's learn from it and go again. And and it's that that piece, yeah, you know, where it almost like stop people from being effective, I guess, isn't it? Because they're trying to cover the backs or whatever and they're not pushing the boundaries or they're not making mistakes or they've got to show that they're perfect in everything they do, which is bizarre, really. It is, it is bizarre. And, you know, I look back now and think, gosh, I I, I wouldn't want to operate mm. like that. But when you're learning or when you're in a new situation, I think you you kind of suck that stuff up a bit. Yeah. I often think about that because I often talk about, you know, I'm not a big fan of, of massive... Uh, KPIs, I guess it's probably what I'm trying to say is I, I think definitely we need a vision. We need a set of goals. We need some outcomes we're achieving and then work out we're going to do it. But this over-reliance on KPIs, and I think what, what I certainly saw in the corporate world and, and have seen, it's getting less so now, but I have seen a lot of in the past where people set KPIs based on knowing what they can deliver. So you could argue, couldn't you, that most organizations are underperforming because they're not really going for it because everyone's sort of pay or whatever or their you know, reward is, is related to them hitting these KPIs. So they're only going to set KPIs they know they're going to hit. <laughs> it's bizarre. Okay. You know, absolutely. And I think, tar- I think knowing where you're going is important. Yeah, absolutely. And feeling like you're all heading in the same direction is mm. important. And so I, I certainly have a... Um, a vision with my team you know it's not my vision it's our vision it's our plan about how we're going to create the very best people experience for the amazing team members that work with us but the danger of setting too much of that is again you think you know the answers and my team are so much more talented than I will ever be they are uh, they're, they're brilliant subject matter experts in things that I will never know. They've had experiences that I can never have. And the power yeah. of all of those minds together, let me tell you, is much better than yeah. my small mind. And if you imagine- cut that off, you've lost. Yeah, well, I know we, we were obviously working with you this sort of time last year, weren't we? And, and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you sit down and you think, OK, so what are we going to do next year? <laughs> when you, and yeah. you, spend, you know, put that plan together and... And yeah, you know, who 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 could predict it? Yeah, we started around this time, didn't we? Started to hear about some some virus in China, didn't we, or something like that? And, and there's sort yeah. of stuff going on, but yeah, you know, it's not going to impact us. And no one really spent the first quarter last year that they sort of saying, okay, well, let's plan for you know no revenue for <laughs> for such a long period. You know, we just didn't do that. So that ability to be able to think on your fleet, isn't it, and, and be able to plan in an agile way and and as you say, you know, it's not possible to have all the answers anymore. So, you know, it's very difficult. It's even difficult to plan a year ahead now, isn't it? And yeah, it, I remember when the crisis happened, it was almost like daily planning, wasn't it? You know, crisis, yeah, crisis, war room stuff. it's still impossible, I think. I, yeah. you know, I thought I, I thought that I quite liked change. And yeah. I thought I was reasonably <laughs> agile. I, mean, I was nowhere near agile. I was nowhere near liking change, not really. And yeah. we now talk about our six-day plan. You know, yeah. will this plan last for six minutes or six days? Because it'll probably be somewhere in the middle. Wow, six-day plan, first time I've heard that. That's 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 incredible, isn't it, when you think about it? It is incredible, but we've had so many twists and turns in this roller coaster that we've had to get used to not having a plan that lasts for very long at all. Mm. And I guess the question you then ask yourself is, why do you need a plan? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, you do need some sort of idea of where you're going, if yeah. only to reassure the people around you yeah. that you, yeah. you know what's going on. I think it's, but I, that that plan doesn't even last six six yeah. days a lot of the time in my world now. I think it's what's happened, isn't it? And, and again, this is the military sort of background I've had is that the planning process is actually more important than the plan. Because yeah, we used to have a phrase that says, yeah, the first casualty of war is your plan because you yeah. never know what the enemy's going to do. Uh, and and I guess that's that's where we're at now, isn't it? It's the importance of collaboration, the importance of dialogue, conversation, you know, leading through conversation. So having that conversation around, well, this is what we could do. This is where we're at at the moment. These are some ideas we've got. That conversation you're having is probably more important than actually the written down, you know, signed off, you know, by 50,000 people plan and sort of thing, which is just just not going to work anymore is it they're that old you know, cascade isn't it where you develop your plan it goes up 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 the mountain gets signed off by fifty thousand people and then comes down the mountain and right now you can implement it it's just not going to work anymore is it so it's, no it's, and thank heavens that, yeah <laughs> moved away from yeah. that to maybe a level of yeah. so much is happening at once that we really truly have to trust the people around us to play their role because we can't we can't actually spend our time meddling in other people's jobs anymore. We can't physically have the answers. It's impossible. So we have to collaborate. Yeah. I mean, I think this has pushed many people into really uncomfortable positions. Yeah. It's about how you but make decisions. Some positive outcomes. Yeah. How, how do you make decisions in a, such a fast-moving, you know, uncertain world? And I guess that comes back to your vision again. You talked there, isn't it? If we... If we know where we want to get to and we know what our purpose is, you know, what is our purpose for our for our teams, for our customers, and we know what our values are, we know what our goals are, you're almost like that's that's decision-making process, isn't it? Where you know people on the ground who can make decisions based on the the why, the what and the how, you know, in terms of you know, the why being our purpose, the what being our goals and the and the how being our values. If if that's in place, then that's when you have to empower people, isn't it? And, and develop people who who then can can make you know, decisions on the ground. So if, if they're in their pubs or whatever, they can make decisions there rather than having to wait for someone to tell them what to do. That's yeah, how it's changed. You're so right. And I can take no credit for this. This was my boss, but very, very quickly, our chief exec mm. established the principles of how we're going to manage this crisis. Yeah. You know, yeah. one of which was we are going to be true to our values in everything yeah. we do. Yeah. We're going to come out of this stronger and we're yeah. going to be true to our values in everything that we do. Uh, and I think in, in the five or six principles that he established, that did exactly that. It gave us as the executive team a kind of guiding light all the way through this that says, OK, check back. Am yeah. I? Yes. OK. Yes, it makes yeah. all those things. Let's let's do yeah. that. Um, and I think that's in it. Yeah, that's that's what I, I call empowerment. Where you know, for empowerment, you need direction, don't you? Which is your, your principles. If if we've got a set of principles, I mean, we we know what our purpose is. We know what principles are. That's your decision making process, isn't it? Is it aligned to principles? Yes, it is. I'm going to do it. Don't need authorization anymore or sign off. I'm just going to do it. And that's where I guess the capability piece comes in isn't it? around how do we now develop leaders who can do that, who who are confident enough to be able to make decisions, but make decisions in the right way and i guess if you're in a, in a very highly compliant environment or a customer uh, orientated environment you need to make decisions based on you know what's best for the customers but also it's the and isn't it what's also best for our, our business as well and getting that balance between commerciality and a customer focus 
and, mm. and having people who, who are developed to, to do that. So I think for me, it's the skill level needs to increase, isn't it? The skill level, the capability level needs to increase so people can actually make decisions in, in that environment based on yes. what, what they think is right in the moment. Yeah, and the challenge is how do you give people those experiences to build their confidence to do that? Yeah, yeah. Um, we just need a crisis, what, a crisis once a year, don't we? No, <laughs> no, we really no, don't. No. Not, not a crisis not, once not a year that, that goes on for a whole year, that's for sure. <laughs> but it's interesting though, isn't it, around, you know, I guess into our world in, in terms of learning and development is that we're finding now where, you know, we're, we're looking at developing programs that, that do put people into into real situations where we can start to analyze that and have a look at how they operate and i guess again that comes back to that real making learning real isn't it where you know we can all sit in there and i'm sure you know you've got a huge value didn't you from doing your masters and the academic stuff and, and i have in the past and yeah i've enjoyed that and that's one side of learning but i think from a leadership point of view leadership's all about action isn't it and around seeing how how do you make decisions under pressure yeah, how would you operate in, in this situation? You know, can you step up? And I guess that that makes it really exciting going forward. It can still be fun, um, fun with a serious intent, but but it's it's fascinating how it's starting to change the way we start to develop leaders going forward. I think this year is is gonna have many implications, but leadership is certainly one of them. I you look at now what an anxious workforce need from their leaders and you look at what the you know this constantly changing world needs from its leaders and it's really different I think yeah. it's really different you know leaders who can cope with a six minute plan yeah. Um, yeah leaders who are able to build enough connection with people to really know what's going on leaders who have got the ability to trust their teams to get on with once they know what the principles are yeah. what they're doing you know leaders who are looking for protagonists rather than yes men you yeah. know, so that genuinely get to the right answer leaders who are genuinely prepared to recruit people better than they are Mm. So can I am I brave enough to recruit some people into my team that are much better than I am yeah, yeah it's, it's right and it's how do then leaders develop leaders isn't it because I think we're you know we're it's, leadership's not about position is it it's around it's a set of behaviors uh, and whether we step up you know so I can be um you know behind the bar in one of your pubs can't you and still be a leader you yeah. know and, and I just lead the environment I'm actually in in that moment and I think that's that's what I, I'm excited about is how do you develop people who can exactly what you said there? How do we people who don't need that? I don't what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, consistency, I guess, or predictability anymore? They're comfortable with that that change, that environment where you're constantly looking at how to do things better and that continued improvement process. But but also how how do we do things in in, in the right way and learn as we go along? So it's, it is a different way of operating. The problem is we need schools to catch up, don't we? Yeah. School, we, we, school, school training, it's all about predictability in school, isn't it? Yeah, you, you have certain lessons at certain times, you you learn this, you, you pass that exam, you do this, and then you do that, and then you do this. and You find and, the answer in a book. Yeah, find it, right yeah, 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 yeah. Or on the internet these days, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just Google it, yeah. Um, yeah, assignment on XYZ, yeah. Um, someone telling me the other day that they've got software now, haven't they? This plagiarism software where, particularly around you know, academics, isn't it, around if you're doing your master's, is is to make sure it's your language and it, it, the, yeah. 
the stars and change throughout the uh, assignments. So. You get a percentage. So we did this on my master's when you submitted an assignment, it went through the software and it told yeah. you the percentage match of other pieces of literature. Really? Wow. And if you got over a certain percentage, then yeah, it was go back and, a red cross. Yeah, let's go back and look at it. Yeah, you can't cut and paste and stuff like that. So, so it is, uh, yeah, those sort of changes, aren't they, and things like that? Uh, yeah, quite fascinating, aren't they? In terms of what would you, if you were, um, I guess, you were to sort of advise someone as a, you know, wise mentor now around leadership for this new world that we're in, what would you, what would you suggest would be the key elements? Yeah, I know you've got your leadership style and your approach, but. Yeah, I know. So, so your kids, your, how old are your kids now? They're... They are um, 13 and 10. Oh, wow. <laughs> They're very grounding. They're okay. very grounding. Mum is a leader. Uh, uh, Mum's just a bit of a geek. Really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but how, how would you advise young people going through now? Because, you know, they are going to be our future leaders, aren't they? The 13, 14, 15-year-olds now are going to be... You're working, you know, it yeah. won't be long before they're in your in your in your business, will they working away and stuff like that. But what would you advise them to sort of develop now? For me, it's really about so it's about the finding something you're truly passionate about. Don't try and spend your whole life doing something you don't want to do. So mm. the first piece of advice I'd do is find something you love. Yeah. And make make a job out of that because you'll never be unhappy then. So find and you'll probably be good at it. Yeah. Find something that you love. The second thing I would say is uh, self-reflection is really important. If you can't look at yourself, honestly, you can't develop the ability or ask other people to help you look at yourself, you'll never change and you'll never get better. Or yeah. I think that that continuous improvement is super important um, mm. because no one's ever the finished yeah. article. The world in 20 years, I'm sure, is going to be different than I could ever imagine. Um, so that would be the second thing I would say. Um, the, the third thing I would say, honestly, is is kindness is just underrated at work. Um, you, if you genuinely care about the people you work with um, and you have an element of kindness in everything you do, um, it's it's massively underrated and especially for our newer female leaders don't let the fact you're a woman put you off being kind because you don't have to yeah. you don't have to pretend not to be female yeah. and kindness is not just a female trait it's okay mm. okay just to be kind yeah i totally agree with you i think i think it's not a female trait i don't i don't think anyway i think it, we can all be kind can't we and being kind is a choice isn't it it's, it's about it is a choice your, um, yeah you know, someone wants one of my favorite and I, and I love a good um, I love a good saying or but one of my favorite ones is uh, be kind because you don't know the battles that other people are fighting. That's so true, isn't it? Yeah. And, and you mentioned that before about some of the uh, unconscious biases we can have, isn't it? And, and the fact we project onto other people. And yeah, as you say, we never know what's going on there. So I, I'm totally with you. I think that's certainly one of my values around, you know, if you're kind, um, then yeah, that's what, what a great behaviour to choose as a leader. Yeah, mm -hmm. we should Being be empathetic. Yeah. Doesn't mean not having difficult conversations. No. If you really want someone to be better, then sometimes you have to say to them the way that you could do this better. This or you're not meeting what the organisation or I expect of you right now. Why is that? How can I help you? being kind doesn't just mean being nice all the time uh, I totally agree and and, and I guess uh, I can always remember one of the, one of the things I always 
you know, because I'm a big people development person and, and if I have people you know, working for me, I feel like a failure if they're not performing. And sometimes you, you need to be kind and you're in the tough love element, isn't it? Where actually that person's in the wrong job. And I can always remember someone giving me advice saying to me, let's say, if you've got someone that you've done everything you possibly can to help them to improve performance and they're still not delivering, then you need to help them find a different job because they're in the wrong job. And it's not about, you know, sacking them, is it really? It's the yeah. fact, and that changed my mindset because I thought, oh my God, you know, they've got their mortgage to pay, they've got the family and all that sort of thing. But actually, they're right on. If you think bigger than that, and you can be be kind, can't you, by being tough, and, and it's a horrible process to go through. But in the long term, they'll look back and go, oh, you know what, that was the best thing that ever happened to me because I hated that job. I was never, I could never perform at the highest level, and I wasn't doing something I loved. Yeah. yeah and that, you know, we have an amazing lady that worked in our team for a while. I'm sure you've met Linda, but she yeah. was the queen of being able to help people work that out. And she got herself a bit of a reputation, to be honest, to be careful if someone has a conversation with Linda, because they might decide <laughs> they want a career change. Yeah, she yeah, was, yeah. And again, you know, I've learned so much from her in the years I've worked with her at Fuller's, but she was brilliant at yeah. really helping people yeah. understand their purpose and how their job fulfilled that or didn't. Absolutely, yeah, a fantastic coach, isn't she, in terms of what she does and, you know, adds huge benefit that way. And I think you're right. I think we fall into a trap, don't we, of we, we don't spend that enough time reflecting early on. And I think perhaps, certainly if I think about it, what I loved at 18 and 19 is different to what I am at, at 58. So I think it it does change and, and people do have different careers. But I think fundamentally there are certain things, aren't there, about how you like to be operated, yeah, how you I like to be led, I guess, how you like to lead others, the environment you like to be in. And I think a lot of it comes from trying to work out what your strengths are. Yes. And if you can work out what your strengths are, then work out what you're passionate about and then marry your strengths with your passions and your purpose, that's when it really takes off and that's when people are really successful. And work really hard at it. The thing that you can't yeah. get away from, and this is yeah. this theory of grit, yeah. which is my favourite book. Yeah. Um, this theory yeah. of grit that says, yeah. if I find something I'm passionate about and I work really hard at it, I'll be successful. Um, so I don't think you can get away from hard work. Absolutely. I think you can yeah. pretend, but you, yeah. you won't. Every successful yeah. person I know has worked hard. Was it someone that in sport they talk about? Was it 10,000 hours to, to get to mastery? Yeah. yeah, and you, know, you look at any elite sports person, they've got to where they got to because actually they're probably on that spectrum of, of being you know, obsessive, aren't they, in terms of what yeah. they, and they've worked and really I, hard. Yeah. And I would argue leadership requires many more than 10,000 hours to be yeah. very good at it because <laughs> yeah. it's really hard. And yeah. like you say, every time you move into a different situation, the context changes and yeah. you've got to change yourself. Every time you have a new team member in your team, they're motivated by something different they need something different from you and you've got to change again what you do yeah. and that would probably be my fourth piece of advice the, the one thing and I actually learned this from my own coach who yeah. has been amazing help to me is contracting is yeah. the most important part of management or leadership and if you start somewhere anywhere and you don't know anything start with a conversation that says what do you want and need from me? And let me honestly tell you what I want and need from you. Yeah. And then a few weeks down the line, you just have to ask the question, how's it going? The yeah. things you said you want and needed from me, am I giving them to you? Mm. And you've given yourself permission then to say, the things I said I want and needed from you, let me tell you how it's going too. Yeah. For me, that contracting conversation yeah. is the key. 
Absolutely. I think that's definitely right from an individual point of view, but also from a team point of view as well. I think, I, yeah, as you know, we work with lots of teams and so many teams are never set up for success, are they? They don't really understand what their common purpose is, what a, a set of guiding principles that you mentioned there before. None of that's been set up and hasn't been contracted, I guess, if you use that language. But once you do set that up, it's amazing what the team, oh, I've got clarity now. I can crack on with it. So yeah. I think you're right there, that, that whole... Uh, yeah, individual, you know, contracting, boundary setting, you know, all that sort of type stuff, I think is is actual crucial, isn't it? And, and it's something that, that often doesn't get done, does it? We just rush into, right, this is what we need to deliver. Let's crack yeah. on. And, we don't and it's an easy, you're stabbing around in the dark then, because if you don't actually ask the question and listen to the answer that says, what do you need? Yeah. You'll never be successful as, yeah. as a leader. Yeah. You have no idea what your yeah. team needs from you, none at all. One of the exercises we like to do with when we're doing teams is we uh, obviously, you know, do lots of stuff in terms of helping people understand, you know, their their values, their personality, their types, all that sort of type stuff. And we get them to create a user manual, uh, which is to be able yeah. to, uh, yeah, how do, how do I get the best out of myself and what do I need from other people and, and where do I add value? Yeah, how do I how do I play to position? All those sort of type things. And, and it's really great when you start to get people and we've done it with teams that have been around for a long time and, and we, we go back a few steps and they go, I didn't know about that, that about you. Is that what yeah, is that what you need? Yeah, and it's like it's mind blowing, isn't it? But if you set that up and contract that, it's amazing. Wow, we we could talk for hours, couldn't we? I know we I, I, I like I just looked at the clock then, that's an hour already. Yeah. <laughs> we could go really out of time. So so fascinating insights there that 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 I can sort of take take away. As you're right, yeah, leaders never stop learning, do they? I think that's that's true. And I think one thing that I took out there is that the minute you stop learning, it's game game over, isn't it? I think. Right definitely there and uh everyone should go away and read grit i think another thing we should go and look at i love that book as well um but it is about yeah how we, how we can get stuff done through people whilst having lots of fun i guess is that the is that the mantra and and for them having lots of yeah. fun. yeah yeah definitely well thank you for that Dawn. and if, if people want to get in contact with you i guess through linkedin i guess if i put the details in and obviously they can contact you through Fuller's as well, can't they, in terms of what you do there. And uh, let's um, let's hope that the uh, restrictions uh, are lifted soon, because if you were operations director of London pubs at the moment, you'd be <laughs> you'd be tearing your hair out, wouldn't you? I'd be furloughed. Furloughed, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tough times, isn't it? I know I'm smiling, yeah. laughing there, but I know the guys really well. And, and it is it is tough, isn't it? But hopefully it'll come back stronger, as you say. I think that's what... That's all we can do, isn't it? Really learn from it, reflect from it, and come back stronger. And, and you know, pubs are part of our life, aren't they? They're part of a community, and they they add huge amounts of value. Um, it's not just about alcohol, is it? It's about the community and the spirit and the the fun and the engagement and the conversations. And yeah, I think yeah, I wonder how many ideas haven't happened because people haven't been going to pubs. Millions. Millions. Yeah. All the coaching that goes on, all the counselling that goes on, all the stuff that goes happens in, in, in a great environment. And uh, yeah, I think I think we, we need to get that back, don't we, as soon as we can. Definitely. Cool. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good and, to talk uh, to you, Graham. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. A big thank you for listening to the Leadership Late Bear podcast with me, Graham Wilson. For more information on our guest leader and to find out how we can support you, check out the links in the description and look out for our next leadership podcast. Remember, leadership is all about taking action. Make sure you connect and apply the lessons learned. Have fun and bye for now.